Welcome to Workforce Insights with Employment Milwaukee podcast. I'm Shaitanya Brown, President and CEO of Employment Milwaukee, the local workforce development board serving Milwaukee County. Experience is a term that gets used in many different aspects of our lives. In the business of workforce development, we commonly hear the word experience being used to define or reflect a person's qualification and skill level. But in the real world, the one where we're stripped of our occupational responsibilities and title, where we exist simply as human beings on our journey through time, experience is defined as moments or decisions that shape the way we perceive and navigate life. When I was a girl, my mother used to tell us, you should never judge a person based on what you see as you never know where they've, what they've been through. And the U.S. Department of Health and Human Service defines lived experience as representation and understanding of an individual's human experiences, choices, and options, and how those factors influence one's perception of knowledge. I think far too often we get caught up in our own life experiences that we consciously or unconsciously neglect the lived experience of others, especially those returning to our communities from incarceration. So I'm excited today to have Linda Ketchum, the executive director of Just Dane, join me. She has a long history of experience working in the correctional services and assisting those within the correctional system. As many of our listeners know, you've heard me speak very passionate about serving Wisconsin's reentry population. And a lot of work that we do here at Employment Milwaukee is targeted to help those who's been involved with the correctional system get a second chance at life. So, Linda, I want to welcome you to the show. I'm so delighted to have you join us today. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the invitation. I don't think a lot of people distinguish the difference between just an experience and that lived experience that oftentimes um, can only be spoken by the person who's actually lived that experience. Could you share with our listeners what defining moments let you hear as the executive director of Just Dane? And then also give us a little bit about Just Dane and the work that you all do in Dane County. Sure. Thank you. So, yeah, it, it's been kind of an interesting journey over the last 40 years, I would say. When I was in college, I was a history major, and I took a corrections class. Back then, They were it was called corrections. It was taught by someone who, a woman who had been previously incarcerated. And so immediately, there was the face of someone with lived experience mm-hmm. in the system who was here as an educator who not only was teaching the theory and, and issues, but also understood very at a very personal level some of the absurdities of our system, some of the injustices of the system, and some of the and some of the benefits or the, the opportunities that had been afforded to her through that system. So that was that was kind of moment one. My dad had been a, a prosecutor when I was growing up, so I kind of always looked at the world a little differently from that. So this was really kind of transformational. So I changed my major, ended up changing my major after taking a couple of more mm. corrections classes to criminal corrections, criminal justice, and did, mm-hmm. did an internship with juvenile probation. And within juvenile probation, I was assigned to uh, an agent who I kind of now all these years later, you know, you recognize was like she was probably like five years older than me, but seemed much older and wiser and more experienced. And so doing this internship, there was a, a, a young a youth, 14. Um, he was in the system. He probably fetal alcohol affected. He was had been bounced around from home, family to family to family member. Mm-hmm. 
um, just really struggled. And he, the chief probation, this was in Illinois, the chief probation agent told the agent that was supervising me that he had found a placement for this, this young man, a facility he'd already been at. And the mm-hmm. agent who was supervising me said, hey, he's already been there and he didn't make it. He didn't, that wasn't a good fit for him. And the chief probation agent said, yeah, that way when he doesn't make it again, we can send him to St. Charles, which was the equivalent of, of Lincoln Hills. And the transformational moment, I mean, one, looking at somebody wanting to set a child up to fail, but two, she got right in, in this guy's face and said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were supposed to help kids. And he didn't know what to do. And he backed down. And it, and it was that moment where I'm like, I don't want to work in this system, but I do want to be right. an advocate like her. From there, I, I, I worked in youth services in the nonprofit sector. Um, and then in 1995, I started to volunteer for a program in, through Lutheran Social Services of Illinois called Prisoner and Family Ministry. And my my first uh, assignment was to take a little girl, nine years old, to visit her mom at Dwight Prison. And this was mm-hmm. going to be the first time in a year that she would see her mom. I went out. The family didn't have a phone. She was with her grandma. I introduced myself. Then the camp got canceled. The prison was on lockdown. So I had to go back and and tell this little girl I wasn't going to be able to take her to see her mom, who she hadn't seen in a year, and her Mm two-year-old sister. She wasn't going to see her either. And I thought I was going to see all this emotion. And I realized when I got there to tell her that camp was canceled, there, there was just no affect. And I realized that at Mm -hmm. nine years old, this was already just one more disappointment in a long series of disappointments. Now, the following week, camp was back on. I picked her up. We started to drive. And if you're familiar with Illinois, there's not a whole heck of a lot between Bloomington and Dwight, except cornfields and fields. So we're driving. We get to the edge of Bloomington. And she turns to me and she says, the next town is. And she told me the name of the next town. She was right. We get to, we pass that town. She tells me the name of the next town. And at that moment, I realized a year earlier, driving from Chicago to to Bloomington, she had memorized the name of every town between Dwight and and Bloomington, and she was ticking them as we got closer to her mom. That was another transformational moment. It was like, what are we doing to children? (laughs) What are we doing to families? Moved from Bloomington to to Madison in 1998, worked um, with ARC Community Services and their Drug Treatment Court Program, worked for Attic Correctional Services, supervising programs in the prisons and and out of the prisons in the southeastern part of the state. But in 2006, I became aware that the position Mm -hmm. of executive director here had opened up and I debated. um, But what appealed to me was the advocacy work that that Justine also does. Mm -hmm. And so I went to um, I went to church one Sunday. They had offered me the job. I asked for time to think about it. I went to church and there was a stewardship meeting at church. I don't usually go to stewardship mm-hmm. meetings for career advice, but the facilitator said, because I'm struggling, I'm like, do I take this job? It's for a small agency. It's less mm-hmm. pay. It's fewer benefits. What? But it just seems like it would be more fulfilling. And what, mm-hmm. what this facilitator said, when you retire, wouldn't you like to leave more than an empty chair? That was it. Absolutely. That was that, that last <laughs> transformational moment that brought me to my work here as executive director because that was it, right? It's the the work that we do at Justine, the direct services piece that we do is really vitally important for people who are impacted mm-hmm. the system. But we always have to remember that that's charity. It's there's a quote from uh, 
United Church of Christ theologian William Sloan Coffin, charity, yes, always, but never as a substitute for justice. And that's what drew me here is the, the charity piece, but also, yes, but that's not a substitute for justice. And so we also have to be advocates. Right. Oh, I love that story, Linda. I mean, it just, yeah, I came from corrections and that's why it's such a sweet spot. And, and just one of those moments where you talked about, you know, I had a situation too, where one of my clients who was on my caseload had a situation. Um, he turned 40 and he was, um, I had him on the bracelet. He was in drugs, in outpatient drug rehab. And um, he called me on his 40th birthday. He had just had twin boys and he was in tears. And he told me that, Ms. Brown, I just want to know that, tell you that I've been lying to you all this time. He told me, you know what? The dope man delivers. And all this time I've been having drugs delivered to me. I'm 40 and I got two twin boys and I need to change my life around. Can I get put into inpatient treatment? And I remember going to my supervisor and asking my supervisor, well, you know, here's somebody, you know, we, we got people in inpatient treatment who doesn't want to be there. And I got pe- a person who wants to be there because he has something by which to turn his life around. And my supervisor told me at that time not to get too caught up mm-hmm. in the lives of these folks. And for me, I know that my purpose in life was so much bigger. I was born to serve. And just listen at you say what you say, you know, in these jobs, especially in this nonprofit space, these are not the jobs you get rich from, but these are the jobs you have rich love and you have the greatest mm-hmm. impact. And like you said, when you retire, I want to retire for more than an empty chair. Um, I want to leave behind um, legacy and all of those things. So that I really, truly appreciate that story. It resonated so well. And just thinking about our partnership with Just Dane. Um, while it came from a grant that we had uh, with UW-Madison, it's bigger than that because, you know, oftentimes people think when folks come out of incarceration, you get a job and, and that's supposed to change your life. And there's so many things that impact just getting a job. And even if right. you get a job, there's so many things that impact you keeping that job. And so we partnered with you all to deliver the reentry experience for those in Milwaukee County. And, and we started this last year and continuing on this year. And my board members have participated. We've had legislators can participate. Uh, we've had people in our community participate and they all have walked away just totally with a different mindset about you know, this population, but this notion of just getting a job and your life is supposed to be so much better. So I always enjoy hearing from them, Um, but could you share what is the reentry simulation and how did it come about? Sure, sure. So part of our history at Just Dane, and we we used to be known as Madison Urban Ministry, so some folks uh, might know us as mom, but at, at Just Dane, part of our history has always been to be an incubator for new ideas and projects. Uh, part of how we do that is to form task forces and study issues. And that's what we did in the 1990s, mid-90s. We formed our justice issues task force and started looking at the corrections system, at the criminal justice system, and specifically at reentry because there 
there wasn't a lot happening in terms of reentry at a community-based level. And so we started to invite people with lived experience to come in and, and talk with us and present to communities, community groups that were part of our, our task force. So out of that grew a, a number of initiatives. Um, the first one really was the simulation. We thought, how can we create a learning opportunity for people in the community to understand the importance of Reentry, right? We say we forgive. We say when someone mm-hmm. has completed their, done their time, they should get, be able to come back and rebuild their lives. And yet that was not the experience people were having. And so we created the reentry simulation. I kind of, I wish we had kept the original name was, was who is my neighbor? And I wish mm-hmm. we had kept that name, but we didn't. So it's, it's a reentry mm-hmm. simulation for community members to get a glimpse into what it's like to walk in the shoes of someone who's newly released from prison for that mm-hmm. first 30 days. And so people come into the experience, um, they get a new identity for it. There's there's stations mm-hmm. around the room uh, at representing probation and parole, employers, landlords, mental health, substance use. I always get to, they always have me staff the substance use and treatment table because I'm in recovery myself. So it's, it's the other mm-hmm. lived experience piece that, that connects with me in our work and recognizing that. The activity is broken up into four segments of 15 minutes each. Each person who's participating has their new identity, has a list of tasks that they need to complete in those first four weeks and try Mm -hmm. to figure it out. It's designed to be as realistic as we can make something Mm -hmm. like this. It's designed to be frustrating because it's frustrating to come out of prison. It's frustrating that so many things that you're told you're supposed to do are really difficult to do if if you rely on public transportation. It's not Mm -hmm. easy to get to three different places in one day using the bus system. It just isn't because many, many nonprofits, many, many businesses are open nine to five. Mm -hmm. And if you have, and if, and particularly for single parents who come out and typically women, you're also expected to, to re to regain custody of your children, which means Mm -hmm. then you've got childcare barriers. You've got people don't think about, the housing, the housing ch- challenges, as difficult as they are for most men coming out of prison, they're not expected to be the primary caregiver for their children. So an efficiency apartment or a one bedroom is something they can pursue. But if you're a mom and you're expected to regain custody of your kids, you need a job that pays more. And yet we know that there are also racial and income disparities and particularly women of color who are at the very bottom of the pay scale. So right. you look at all these barriers. So, so the simulation is really designed to to give people this glimpse into these challenges, and then at the end, people um, hear from a panel of, of folks who have lived experience. And there's this chance to answer questions, and it's we didn't have the language for it in in 1999 when we launched the first one, but Brian mm-hmm. Stevenson and Just Mercy has provided the perfect language, which is we have to be in proximity, and the simulation mm-hmm. starts to put people in the headset of proximity, Mm -hmm. but also in proximity with people who have lived experience, the opportunity to interact and talk with them. Because when we are in proximity, we're changed. And when we are changed, we can begin to change the system. And so that's what the simulation was really designed to do is to start changing it. And at the same time we were doing the simulation, we were developing our first official reentry program, um, 
called Circles of Support. So in 2003, mm-hmm. we launched Circles of Support. Those are community volunteers that we recruit and train who agree to meet. And each circle is four to six folks. Each, and they meet once a week with someone who's newly released. We call that person the core team member. And it's a new peer group. It's a new support network in the community. It's people who can help you build social capital when you've been out of the community, when we've taken you out of the community for 5, 10, 15, 20. Currently, we have someone who, who came back after 46 years in prison. How do you have any any social capital, any social connections? Well, that's where mm-hmm. these volunteers come in. So we use the simulation to to recruit volunteers for circles, but also for our youth program, Mentoring Connections that matches kids who have an incarcerated parent with a community-based mentor to just be an additional support in the community and, and provide caregivers a little, little respite sometimes. We also are hoping to revitalize and restart our family connections and reading connections programs that went into the prisons that have been on hold mm-hmm. since COVID started. So our last trip to take kids to visit their moms at Tachita was in February of 2020. So we hope yet this year to start that back up. Um, that had been a long-standing, long-running program since 2000. That's kind of what the simulations were designed to do, and that's how they operate a bit. We've trained people, or, uh, we've, we've provided them across the country. We have, in the past, provided them within the DOC system. The, mm-hmm. the, those were structured a little differently. We didn't feel that it was therapeutic or beneficial to intentionally frustrate people. So we treat those were designed to be more of a dress rehearsal for what it's going to be like when you get out. And then what kind of mm-hmm. resources can we help you locate in the community that that you're going to be released to? But yeah, so, you know, since then we've added our journey home and peer support programs. We've mm-hmm. added um, our Just Bakery vocational training program that's been running now for 10 years um, and that that was another transformational moment. If if we if, if it's okay if I go tell another story, oh sure sure. Um, Eddie was somebody who came through. He had a circle of support in 2005. He got out of prison after 18 years um, on a burglary. It was a long sentence because he had 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 other other convictions. But he came out. He was 60 years old. He'd been a cook in the cafeteria within the prison. And so when he got out, he had a circle. And he was looking for employment. He applied for the job of fry cook in the UW housing system. And again, this was, you know, 18 years ago now. So things change. But 18 years ago, mm-hmm. he was he, he was denied the position. So this is now about 2006. He was denied the position because they said, the HR department said, well, the nature of your conviction, burglary, is substantially related to the nature of the job fry cook. Mm-hmm. And we were we said, no, 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 that makes no sense. So we told Eddie, we said, you have the right to appeal this. And we, our staff will go with you, myself, our associate director, the Honorable Everett Mitchell, who's now a court judge, a circuit court judge here in Dane County, will go with you. Your circle of support will go with you, the six guys on your circle. And then we called a friend of ours, Jerry Hancock, with the prison ministry program here in Madison, who's a retired prosecutor. We said, Jerry, will you wear your clergy collar and bring your lawyer brain because we don't want them to know we have a lawyer with us. So we Uh all went with Eddie for his appeal. And the woman said to Eddie, all of the cafeteria equipment is, is paid for with student fees. Therefore, it is student property. 
So therefore, with a burglary conviction, it's substantially related because you would have access to student property. And I could see Jerry furiously writing on his legal pad. <laughs> and, you know, and Everett and I are thinking, so do they think he's going to try to put a dishwasher under his coat? Or, I mean, what are they thinking is mm-hmm. happening here? So we leave the meeting and Jerry says to Eddie, look, we can sue him. I don't know a judge who would buy this. And Eddie did what probably 95% of our participants did. And he said, no, I don't. I, that's not where I want to spend mm-hmm. my energy. Mm-hmm. I just want a job. At that moment, Everett and I said, look, doors aren't opening for our folks. We're going to have to build some of our own doors. And so that's where the idea for our Just Bakery vocational training program came from. It's a 12-week program. People learn life skills, employment skills, but also they they learn skilled trade in commercial baking. And then we help with job placement. They're also earning college credit through Madison College for each of the restaurant association certificates they get. So that was an example. That was one of those transformational mm-hmm, moments. So mm-hmm. you look at that that contortion that that HR person. Now I'm happy to say things change, and right now people who work at UW housing now. It's but that circle of support that was again that proximity for those six middle class white men who had been Eddie's support network to sit in that meeting and hear the absurdity of the argument. They become, they become some of our most powerful advocates because right, of them, that right. proximity. And so they're the ones who started going to meet with legislators and talk about employment rights. So, so yeah, so we have, um, we, we have the, the just bakery program as well. And, and circles of mm-hmm. support is really, that is really kind of the all encompassing because we have folks who are in journey home and getting some case management support, but that circle, those volunteers. And when it works the way we we want it to work, what happens is the circle closes officially, but they remain a peer group. And so that person, mm-hmm. that just remains, that's now, that's part of your, those, those folks are part of your social network. And when it works exactly how we want it to work, then the core person who was the core team member also becomes a volunteer on a circle of support. And so- is reaching is reaching out and and has that lived experience and and helping with that. So so yeah, our circles of support program was really the first reentry initiative outside the the simulation and it has been mm-hmm. kind of central to everything we do um in terms of all the other programs that have been developed as part of the the array. Yeah, and this work you'll hear people who's in this reentry space hear about the circle of supports. I've I've been introduced to that uh, through other programs as well. Um, it's a critical part of an individual's journey and um, being able to have that particular support. You also mentioned in that conversation where, yeah, he could have possibly sued, but many of the individuals who are coming out of incarceration, they just want a, a second chance and be able to get on the right path. And I think that's kind of the wake up call that I've seen too with the reentry simulations. Even some of our team members here, um, sometimes you think you know something until you actually, those scenarios help people to, to think about the things that you don't even think about. And oftentimes you'll sit at your desk and a person is later can't show up and you're like, see, here they go. They just, you know, not showing up. But like you said, when you got to be three places in one day and you're on the bus to get there and a, you may not have money, your bus pass runs out before you get to your third location to 
what it is that you need to do, not understanding that my PO could be running late, which means that I can sit, you know, for this additional time, even though I got a ske- another scheduled appointment someplace else, what decisions that a person is faced against. And one of the things that I enjoy too with the simulations was, uh, and by, better yet, I think it goes back two years. I remember some of the desks had closed due to COVID because that was a big to do um, at one particular point in time. And a lot of folks came out of incarceration, was released early. Yet, what were they supposed to do? And they right. needed to maneuver in, you know, this world. They're out here free and they're showing up places and organizations are not open due to the pandemic or due to a COVID outbreak or whatever the case may be. So it's all kinds of factors like that. And if we're not really shown how to deal with frustration, well, it can be very frustrating. It can be very disheartening. And um, my staff has participated as well as board members, as well as employers that we work with and all of them. It's been very eye open. And we've seen the impact where we've had some employers create programming to hire specifically those coming out of incarceration to give them experience. That type of work, I think it's critical sometimes because some people will never get that lived experience. But that moment of being a part of that and, and taking on and assuming the response, the role of someone else and walking in their shoes for that moment can be eye opening. Linda, I sense your passion by the work that you all continue to do in the expansion of that work and, and creating programs to help. And, you know, I appreciate you coming on today to share your insights with us. Like at the end of my shows, I always ask my guests to share what they like their legacy to be. Because I think that's critical. I mean, we all wear certain roles and responsibilities, but why do we do this and what do we want to leave behind? I've benefited from a lot of privilege in my life. And so it's incumbent on me to to do what I can, I think, to open doors. So I think in terms of my legacy, both in my direct service career, working with folks, as well as um, as a supervisor and as an advocate, I think I'd like my legacy to be that I helped open doors. I held some doors open. And sometimes when we had to, we I helped create some doors for other people to walk through and have some of the great ex- experience and privilege and honor that I've had both working in the, this organization. We have, uh, we've implemented a lot of employment practices here to encourage the hiring and promotion of, of individuals with lived experience. And, and so that's, that's some of those doors, but also recognizing, you know, too, that that means when you open doors, you keep opening them. So somebody shouldn't mm-hmm. stagnate here. So it's, it's, it's encouraging people to keep looking and, and finding that courage to walk through the next door. Cause there's other great things for them to, for people to do. So I guess, I guess that, would is what I'd like my legacy to be is that I helped helped open some doors and I held some doors open for for others to walk through and and have some of the and be able to benefit in the same way that I have um, and had the great privilege to do this work. Well, again, thank you, Linda, for for joining us today on Workforce Insights. We appreciate you taking that time. And um, if you can leave to my listening audience your website on how people can get in contact with you. I greatly appreciate it. Sure. Um, it's www.justdane, one word, 
www.workforceinsight.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee, where helping people live their best life is our business. Be sure to like, share, or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about Employ Milwaukee, check out our website at www.employmilwaukee.org. That's www.employmilwaukee.org. Until next time, be safe, be brilliant, and give it your all.